Hello listeners, you're listening to Zone 1 Digest, the cream of the capital's favourite and only community radio station, and yes, that metaphor is a bit too nice for what this show really is. What it really is is basically me holding our presenters up in an alley at knife point and demanding the best bits of their shows. I'm Stuart Hardy, and this is Zone 1 Radio's great big Christmas present to you listeners. Let's see what's inside. A sound effect of me opening a Christmas present. That's exactly what I wanted. You may be thinking that's a bit too much excitement for one show, but no, we've got loads more coming up. Starting with the superb Jenny Runacre with London Arts, in which she headed down to Soho for the launch of Sophie Parkin's new book on the Colony Room Club, the one and only Soho drinking den. Warning, contains strong language, adult themes and people being sick everywhere. Enjoy! Facebook.com slash Zone Radio. Hello, I'm Jenny Ranica, and I'm the new presenter of Zone One Radio's London Arts. Now I'm in Soho on my way to the launch of Sophie Parkins' new book on the Colony Club. Now I presume you've all heard of the Colony Club, I'm sure you have. It was a wonderful club in Soho frequented by people like George Melly in his striped suit and Sir Francis Bacon waving a paintbrush, Geoffrey Barnhard propping up the bar, through the decades to our wonderful, glorious Amy Winehouse, used to love it up there as well. You name them, they were all up there, listening to jazz, drinking at the bar and having a good time. So step inside with me now and let's go back in time and just imbibe the atmosphere. And I walked in with my mother and stepfather and we'd come up from Cornwall uh, where we lived and my mum had just bought me a pair of my first kind of high-heeled green I remember they were green Clark sandals, strappy sandals with heels. And Clarks, I said. And um, the there was this woman at the door who said, Hello, cunties, when we walked in. And I, I went, Ooh. And then she went, Love the sandals. Um, uh, madam and I said oh thank you very much yes they're new I just got them from she went not yours hers and pointed at my stepfather who was wearing a pair of really nasty sandals with socks yeah just really classic embarrassing teenage stories I loved the colony right from the beginning and I knew about my mum going there in the 60s and 70s and the 80s. I certainly went in there enough with her in the 80s when she was on her her benders, when she was doing her one-woman shows. And she said last night um, uh, that she'd been going there for so long but could remember hardly any incidents. But once I kind of got her cajoled her when I was doing the interviews, And I said, what about John Mortimer? Did you used to go in there with him? Oh, yes, of course, I always went in with John Mortimer after we'd had an afternoon of spanking. You kind of go, where did that come from? That's just wrong, mother. This is Song One Radio. Hello, Sophie, and nice to meet you again. Tell me about your, a little bit about your new book that you've just written. 
Um, well, uh, it's a book about the Colony Room, which was an institution. It's a history of post-war culture. Mm-hmm. It's a, a um, joining together of all the parts that nobody realised were integrated and how culture actually develops. It's not about the separate worlds of art and poetry, um, design, architecture, um, writers, uh, theatre people. Um, if you put all of them in a social context together and they're all relaxed, then naturally ideas develop and you'll get somebody writing a poem for an actress or you'll get a, a playwright um, writing a play about a poet's work and or a painter's work or everything is interlinked and uh, that was what was a real kind of revelation to me um, doing this book discovering all of those lovely kind of connections together research but you've been a member there yourself at lots many years and your mother was as well wasn't you Molly yes and my father Michael Parkin yes and I suppose he was the first person to 30 years ago Um, 30 years ago, he was the first person to put the colony on the map as being an artist club by staging an exhibition in Belgravia called Artists of the Colony Room. Hello, listeners. You're listening to Zone One Digest, and that was London Arts, Zone One Radio's culture slot, which can be heard every week on Zone One Radio. Please remember that all complaints can be addressed to my producer and not me. Hang on. Okay, I'm getting some rather angry words in my earpiece. Um, 206 already, you say? Um, okay, just glad that the door's locked. Anyway, uh, so while I pray my producer calms down, um, let's have a listen to In Good Taste, Zone 1 Radio's food show and longtime friend of Digest, with their very special edition dedicated purely to offal, and they see if they can convince you to change your Christmas eating habits, and... And yes, I can confirm that offal does sound like the perfect drunk snack. So let's have a listen. Whilst some regard offal as gourmet cuisine, others label it old-fashioned and unappetizing. Literally, meaning the parts of the animal which fall off during butchering, offal has the ability to divide opinion like no other type of food. However, the offal market in the UK is enjoying something of a resurgence, with exports increasing by over a third in 2012. Domestically also, nose-to-tail dining has become something of a trend on the London restaurant scene, and forgotten cut ranges are popping up at supermarkets across the country. So much so that the Cattle Grid restaurant in Clapham recently held an offal-tasting evening. In Good Taste's Lucy Bowler, a self-confessed offal enthusiast, went along to sample the dishes and to speak to the chef and owner. Yes, I've got you under my skin. What kind of brain is this? It's pork brain. It's pork brain. Yeah. Okay. 
It can use, it's, it's probably the best one I have really. Um, sheep's brains can be quite um, taut and quite um, gristly. Yeah. Um, so pork brains is probably the best one. It's got the best milky consistency. Mm -hmm. So it's quite good. And do you cook with offal a lot? Um, unfortunately, I don't. My wife's a vegetarian. <laughs> so you never much time for offal. In the no, not, not really. And uh, the last time I really had offal was when I was about eight years old. My mum used to eat rabbit's brains and mashed potato. Rabbit's brains and mashed potato? Yeah. I've never even heard of that. Is that, key, is that a thing? It's a kiwi thing. My mum's from New Zealand. Oh, okay. So over there, it's a, rabbit's brains is a staple. Sort of. And why? Is it because there's spare rabbits running all over the shop? Or? They're, they're really easy to catch. It's a cheap treat, basically. <laughs> Cheap ingredients that are underused Indeed. and raising them up into well, beautiful, think, tasty things. Everything that you guys had tonight, apart from the um, pig's heads, cost about £50. So that's everything the tears, the kidneys, the sweetbreads, the brains. And you serve what, 20 people with that? Easily, and there's some food left over as well. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, there's plenty left over. <laughs> it, goes, it goes a long way. I mean, all, all, I was, all I was trying to do for the offal night was just do dishes from around the world, basically. Mm. Just to show you that it's not just it's not just in the UK you can have offal everywhere. everywhere it's an easy thing to get hold of. Most people throw away. So how, how do you get hold of it? Butchers down the road, basically. Butchers? Yeah. Any butchers? Just go um, Most butchers will, uh, will hold some stock, usually kidneys and hearts. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's anything you want, you know, per se, like uh, testicles, for instance, mm -hmm. free orders. Sure. Free orders. <laughs> you got to book them. So just go to your butchers, say, I would like some testicles from this animal. Yeah. Get them in. You get them in quite quickly. And are, they, are they normally quite cheap? Uh, yeah, very cheap actually. Um, in fact, so saying that, I think the testicles are probably the most expensive thing on the dish. <laughs> The hard to come back. What, um, what animal are the testicles from tonight? These ones are bull. Okay. Uh, just because of the sheer size of it. Uh, yeah. They're not actually that big, they're about double the size, but once you take off all the sinew and all the gristle and stuff, and so basically yes with this. What's the preparation involved in um, preparing testicles or, or calf fry, as it's sometimes called? Well, with the testicles, these ones have been um, basically stripped of all the sinew, mm -hmm. uh, put in beer for two and a half hours to tenderise it. Put in a what? In beer. In beer? Yeah. Okay, and simmered? No, just leave it in, just, just normal beer. Wow, okay. So yeah, just leave it, let it tenderise a bit naturally. Uh, once they come out, it has a, an external part of white sinew. Strip off mm -hmm. and then pat and dry, slice them down, pat and dry again, floured and then um, battered. Wow! So, is it a question of misconception? Have bush tucker trials and the current trend towards more expensive meat cuts stigmatized off unfairly? Are we in danger of losing one of our oldest culinary traditions and with it a whole range of delicious flavors? I went to my local butchers to find out more. I'm here at HG Walters in Fulham, which is a traditional family butcher's. So let's go inside and see who we can speak to. Could you take us on a sort of virtual tour of your counter? What kind of offal do you normally stock? Okay, so on a daily basis, um, you'll always find calf's liver in the shop. Mm -hmm. Calf's liver is the prime, most luxurious liver, um, also the most expensive. There's other cuts always available, which we don't always show in the cabinet. Things like lamb's liver, pig's liver, mm -hmm. they're always readily available in the shop and a fraction of the price to calf's liver as well. Uh -huh. 
things like chicken livers, very popular for making terrines and pâtés and etc. Yeah, so if it's liver, is it the age of the animal which determines the quality? I mean, obviously um, the calf is the best, but is that because it's young? Not necessarily, but um, a lot of our more discerning customers of restaurants when buying calf's livers, they always specify it has to be light, which generally means it's come from a young animal. Uh-huh. Um, it's going to be very tender, very mild in flavour. Um, so the younger the animal, the more mild the flavour mm-hmm. and, and the more delicate it would be. So, Brilliant. Correct, that would be more desirable in general, definitely. Right. And apart from liver, I mean, what kind of offal do you stock? I mean, um, is it I mean we, we serve a lot of restaurants, so um, right. it, it enables us to keep a good stock on lots of offal. Chefs in restaurants are a lot more adventurous than chefs at home, so mm. they're, they're always um, stocking things like ox hearts, veal kidneys, and, and anything you can imagine, really. Really, so, so all the weird stuff as well. So do you ever get any fantastically odd orders for things like pig's ears or On a brains? daily basis, Brains, yeah. too? Calf's brains are the most popular. Oh, again, the calves. Um, yeah, second to that would be lamb's brains. Uh-huh. So they're, they're both very popular in the shop. Right. Definitely. Okay, so do you cook offal yourself at home? Me, personally, no. I'd, I'd order it if I was in a restaurant. Right. Um, personally, I don't really like liver. Um, uh. But I love tongue, I love heart. Um, but I'm just not a big fan of liver. No, that's fair enough. I mean, do you? I mean, what kind of people seem to come in? Ab- apart from the restaurant owners, if it's on a home cooking yeah. basis, do you find it's an older generation who cook it? Um, I would say probably definitely there is a trend towards older uh-huh. generations. Because of the wartime habit. Yeah, probably. I think um, cheaper cuts like that people had to make use of many years ago, and, and they're still more familiar than than the younger generation are. Hmm. So I'd say. Other than that, things like pigs live are very popular with Asian customers, and a lot of young Asians come in for those as well. Hmm. So when they're doing hot pots and soups and things like that, um, they're, they're very familiar with things like pigs' livers, pigs' kidneys, and, and stuff like that. It's very popular with the Asian clientele. It's quite. I hear it's quite healthy too. I mean, if you're going for a, some offal in your diet, then it comes up. It's mineral rich, isn't it? Yeah, very very high in iron, um, no fat. So it's very 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 healthy option, definitely. Uh huh. So it's misunderstood, but actually if we ate more of it, it'd probably do the British diet a lot of good. Definitely, yep. All of me Why not take all of me Hello listeners, you're listening to Zone 1 Digest and that was In Good Taste, Zone 1 Radio's food show. The full version of their awful special can be heard on zone1radio.com and... Um, I'm sorry, my producer's very angry indeed about that comment I made earlier and uh, and the clip I played, and apparently I'm getting replaced with a fist up my... Okay, I'm not listening to that anymore. Um, I'm in quite a lot of trouble indeed. Still, who cares, listeners? I have more clips I can play to you. Next up, we have a show we haven't seen on here in a while, In The Zone, the Zone 1 Radio sports show. And this, well, this one wasn't so much sports... Ladies and gentlemen, it's time you became very familiar with a sport known as chess boxing. Yeah, I know. It was the chess boxing international season finale. I asked event organizer Tim Walger what chess boxing is all about. It does what it says on the tin. You know, it's a combination of chess and boxing. And you might think those that's an odd two things to put together, but... In reality, chess is a you know violent, combative game. It's just you don't actually see it. It's mental violence, and uh, and and boxing. I think maybe people underestimate the the mental side of a boxing match. 
And in terms of the actual setup of the fights, how does it work between the rounds of chess and the rounds of boxing? It's pretty straightforward. You start off playing one round of chess and then you play one round of boxing. Then you play one round of chess and play one round of boxing. The idea is simply to win, whether okay. it's through a checkmate or whether it's through um, outboxing your opponent. So it was time to meet a fighter and I caught up with South Korean Benny Kang ahead of his bout. How many chess boxing fights have you had in your career so far? Uh, nothing. Nothing? This, yes. is your, this is going to be yes. your first fight? Yes. Okay, so how did you get involved in chess boxing? Last week uh, I go to uh, this uh, chess box uh, club here in London and uh, I had uh, one, uh, one lesson uh, training and uh, there was one competitor who should have today a match but uh, he gets ill and so I, I get this... Uh, Last minute call. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I was asked and I said, yes, okay. And what would you say uh, you're better at? Are you better at the boxing or the chess? I think a uh, little bit better at uh, boxing. Okay. Yes. <laughs> 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 Hello, listeners. You're listening to Zone 1 Digest, the best of Zone 1 Radio. And that was In The Zone. And you can hear the whole thing on zone1radio.com. And I've managed to sort out the issues I've been having this week with my producer, who's been getting very angry at me indeed. Um, I'm not getting fired if I manage to beat him at chess boxing. So while I go gamble with my voluntary radio career, you can see yourselves out, listeners, with a special Christmas present from me to you before the big day tomorrow. Bet you can't guess what it is. Okay, you probably can, because I haven't mentioned him yet. Yes, it's Matthew Layton, the butt of half my jokes on this show, apostle of the age of Twitter and founder of Zone One Radio, with his motorsport show London GP. And this week, he spoke to his former motorsport journalism archenemy, John from Radio Le Mans, at the Race of Champions in Thailand, where the world's finest drivers go head-to-head in identical vehicles to prove who is the real champion. Thanks for listening, and look forward to all of the great content coming up on zone1radio.com in the new year. I've been Stuart Hardy... Well, I always am. And Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. Facebook.com slash Hello, I'm Matthew, and this is London GP, your weekly motorsport and music extravaganza on Zone 1 Radio, the Mayor of London-funded community radio station for Central London. This week... A Race of Champions special. Uh, This weekend in Bangkok, Thailand, the world's finest drivers go head-to-head in identical vehicles to prove once and for all who is the real champion. And I'm not reading that off the website. Um, Will Germany, represented by Sebastian Vettel and Michael Schumacher, win the title for a sixth successive year? Uh, Probably. Um, But we'll be speaking to our man high up in the stands in Bangkok's Rajamangala Stadium and formerly my motorsport radio arch enemy John from Radio Le Mans This is Zone 1 Radio John, how are you? I'm very well, thank you I hope you can hear me over the excitement that is building here in the Rajamangala National Sports Stadium just on the, uh, the outskirts of Bangkok I'm glad you had to say that not me um, How's the weather? Um, oh, it's awful. It's just like you're having in the UK 30, 32 degrees, <laughs> except I was just Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, the advantage I know is that you're going to be stuck in a commentary box, so you're going to be a bit hot and sweaty, aren't you? Yeah, um, 
thank goodness for the fantastic invention that is air conditioning. Although I will say, before you get too envious, um, shirt of tensing, two llamas and some oxygen actually got me up to the top of the stadium here. <laughs> I'm basically in the eagle's nest overlooking what appears to be the world's largest scale electric set because it is that small in front of me. That's how high up I am. I'm not very good with heights. Normally I get a bit dizzy when I'm standing on my tiptoes. So it's a, it's a, it's a little bit of a, an ordeal here, but I'm excited enough to, to sort of the adrenaline is pushing me through that. So what's ahead for this weekend? The Race of Champions is just a great event. It's grown massively over the last 25 years. And as I say that, I can't believe that it it is 25 years uh, since we had the first uh, event, which uh, is, in in some ways, it's a throwback to remind us just how dangerous motorsport is because we raced for the Henri Teuven and Memorial Trophy. Henri was a World Rally Championship driver who was killed in a, a very tragic accident uh, which also claimed the lives of some spectators back in the, the 1980s. And it was decided that uh, his verve and his style behind the wheel of a car should be commemorated. And what better way than to get the champions of many different disciplines of motorsport together, take out all of the variables, put them out side by side on a track in identical machinery, so no questions as we all ask at the pub about ah, how much is the car, how much is the driver. None of that here. It's man against man, side by side, go fast or go home. <laughs> um, it is slightly panto though, isn't it? In some respects. I mean, this is only the second time that we've come out of Europe with the race of champions. Uh, once, three years ago now, to Beijing in the Birdsnest Stadium in the aftermath of, of the Olympics there. And now here to, to Bangkok. It's, it's normally been held in Europe, uh, Germany for the past couple of years, Wembley before that, Paris, and for quite a long time in the Canary Islands. Um, great for this time of year as well, of course, for the weather. Um, so you do get a little bit of, uh, of national fervour, particularly over the last couple of years, with Sebastian Vettel and Michael Schumacher being forming the German team for one of the nights before everybody goes solo and fights it out amongst themselves for the, the champion of champions title or on the final night. So it, it is, there are heroes and villains. The great thing is that everybody who is here is a legend from their own sport. And whether you're really into motorsport or not, you might not be into motorcycling, but you will have heard the name of Mick Dillon. And Mick's back again, the Silver Fox this year, um, <laughs> to try and uh, you know beat the Australian drum. And by the way, these drivers will tell you it's all a bit of end of season fun, but Mick Dillon has actually gone out and bought one of the buggies that they're racing uh, on this circuit so they can have a bit of sneaky practice before he came. They are taking it seriously, I promise.